You're listening to Culture 101 on RNZ National. Well, by the time she was seven, Susan Takaharangi King had stopped talking. Yet today she's one of Aotearoa's most globally sought-after artists. Paris, New York, Dusseldorf, they're just some of the locations of solo exhibitions she's held just this year. And while Susan may be mute, boy can she draw. You can see lots of evidence of that in our web story at rnz.co.nz slash culture101. How do you describe these works of Susan's? Well, I would say they're kind of extraordinary mashups of small figurative details of the life around her, or motifs sort of held within this kind of mind-bending spatial mesh. Tika Harangi King is now in her 70s, but she's really busy exhibiting. Untitled is an exhibition that's recently opened at the Gallery Te Uru in Waitakere, and another um, she is having with Robert Heald Gallery at Sydney Contemporary at the Art Fair early September. Meanwhile, she's flying off to another show in New York. Susan's sister, Petita Cole, is an art teacher and an artist who herself has had an extraordinary journey as an archivist of Susan's work, over 5,000 drawings. Susan and Petita are one of 12 children, which, as she told me, has its challenges. Back in the days in the 60s when you didn't have seat belts, you just kind of <laughs> jumped all in the car and squeezed in and sat on someone's knee or squeezed between. And if you didn't fit, you didn't go. <laughs> yeah, everybody had their jobs to do and, yeah. Well, your, your parents, in a sense, seem like quite remarkable people. I think your father was a self-taught Māori language teacher as well as a publisher and, and your mother was very talented as well. Did, did that feed into Susan's work? I'm, I'm not sure if and how it fed into Susan's work. I mean, she she was the only one that didn't have any jobs as such because she was special, so um, she, nothing stopped her drawing. <laughs> yeah. Whereas, um, you know, we might be too busy, you know, doing paper runs, earning, a, you know, our $3.60 that we got every fortnight. <laughs> what are your memories of Susan? Because she was a, a, a few years older, a couple of years older than you, I think, wasn't she? She's nine years older than me. Yeah, I mean, I, I do remember... Because her school was right next to our, you know, the primary school that we went to. So if she missed the grabbing the bus that went to school, you know, we'd walk her. And I do remember, you know, when walking her to school, just talking to her anyway. Um, mm. And of course, you don't get any answers, but it was kind of nice doing that. It was sort of quite a special time just to be walking along to school and talking to her. Do, do you remember a time when she was talking, or were you just too young no, to remember that? No, 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 that, that stopped. Um, yeah, she had stopped by the time she was seven, which is two years before I was even born. And I think she spent quite a lot of time with your, your grandparents, I think. They sound like quite a big influence. Yeah, they're amazing, really. Susan often had stays with my grandparents, and in particular, she did start school at the normal age of five, but the teacher very quickly caught on that, you know, what is wrong? Why is she not talking? And she wondered if it was perhaps she couldn't hear. And so that began a number of medical tests and stuff. But because the family lived in Te Aroha, you know, like the um, child psychologist and, and the medical specialists that she would need to see, they were all in Auckland. So Susan would go and stay, you know, with my grandparents. And one set of tests would lead to another. And so she actually stayed there for several months. Right. But that freedom to draw, was that something that was encouraged at home from an early age or even in all of you um, or even at school when she initially started to go? 
No, I think that she's just like, uh, that's what she did and loved to do and, and would have been encouraged because it's quite obvious that she's good at it. And also with the lack of um, being able to speak, then of course the other aspects that she's good at is encouraged. So, um, and in particular that was encouraged you know, by by my grandmother. You know, grandmothers have, or grandparents, have a role that's pretty unique and wonderful. They don't have all the other responsibilities that parents have to do everything. Yeah, but her, her <laughs> energy sounds amazing, like, in a sense, now that you're the archivist, but looking at, uh, I think, your grandmother you know, was recording their expeditions together at length in, in diaries. They, they sound quite extraordinary. Yes, they are amazing. Um, I do remember rescuing a whole case full of diaries that spanned 20 years. Wow. And um, it was going to be chucked, and I thought, no, that's too good, even though I didn't know what was in them. And I did actually hold on to them for about 15 years before I started actually reading them and I thought my gosh <laughs> and so then I started transcribing those and it's pure gold wow. um, you know the observations and just the uh, the way that grandma was so tuned in um, to what was going on with Susan and you know in, and in many instances she's shed light on the context in which a lot of her drawings were made what was going on at the time so when you can sort of link what's in the drawing to her understandings or uh, responses to happenings or Can things. you give us some examples? I mean, because there's an extraordinary diversity of sort of elements in those drawings, aren't there? From bridges yeah. to Donald Duck to popsicles to I- exactly. things a little bit darker. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, and so one just comes to mind where... Um, because Grandma often would, um, she has her diaries, but sometimes she would um, date the drawings that are down there or write a little comment underneath them. And there's one that's got Donald Duck and then it's got all these paints going, you know, cans of paint around Donald. <laughs> and the cans are spilled over and the paint's all pouring out. And then Grandma's written at the bottom, I spilled a bottle, a bottle of cream today and now here she's drawing this. And it's just wonderful, you know, when I see that and I think, flip, you know, you have an accident and you spill the bottle of cream. Yeah. And then when you see that, you know, she's seen that Susan's drawing this and she's seen that Susan's taken this real-life activity and made a comic of it. And, and I just, we would never know that unless we had seen that. And so there's, you know, lots of sort of instances like that. There seems um, to be this kind of great sense of just, to, was very, you know, all these little details that other people might not have noticed sort of coming into the drawings, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Was it a sort of an emotional expression as well? I mean, in terms of the feeling of, of, of how Susan was feeling about life in the time, do you feel like the, the drawings kind of reflect how, how she was as a sort of a, a form of exp- emotional yes, expression? Yes, I think so. And um, when you look at some of her works, it's they're very light and carefree and fun and beautiful. or you know. And then others, you look at them and you think, my gosh, this is really, uh, this is deep. You know, dark, uh, very the, dark. Yeah, Some of the, them are very disturbing. Yes, that's right. You know, anxious looks on faces and and outstretched limbs and uh, tears splashing, or you know, just um, really quite disturbing. And it's like, well, you know, we, you and I, if we have concerns or worries or things that we don't understand in life, we can 
converse with other people about that and gain security or gain a bit of understanding. But she can't have these conversations. So in the absence of that, you know, being able to clarify her understandings or seek an answer or whatever, she's just got to process it herself in some way. <laughs> and I hope, we, so. you know, I think we've hopefully progressed, but I mean, I worked for the AHC myself with, with Susan, spent some time in, in Auckland in the late 1980s. And, um, you know, I, I know she worked in the AHC workshops and the schools. And, and I mean, there was some behaviour that, that was not great towards people. And you kind of feel like, I, I don't know what went on for Susan, but that she was having mm. to commute, she was kind of reflecting things that weren't pleasant for her. Yeah, I would, I would think so. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, the the Dan Salmon film of two thousand and nine, um, which is rather remarkable, pictures of Susan. I mean, the, one of the most upsetting parts, I guess, is where we we learned that there was a long time when Susan stopped drawing, and she was working in the IHC workshops. The work was, you know, often quite repetitive. It, it's it's quite quite a challenge. It must have been difficult for the family, I imagine. Yes. Um Although when you say the family, it's like it's not like you snap your fingers and one day she's drawing and next she's she's not. There yeah. was a bit of you know stopping and starting, I think, and also like the last dated drawing that I'm aware of is 1992, which is actually later than I had thought originally. I thought she must have stopped in the 80s at some point, um, and then I found one that's uh, drawn on the back of a calendar, which is dated 1992. Um, and there's hardly anyone left at home at that stage. It's mum, <laughs> dad, and and maybe my brother. You know, yeah. so the, you know, it's um, it's not as if there's a big buzz of lots of activity going on, and we're all off on our own, uh, doing our own thing. Got our own family. I mean, I left home in uh, 1980. It appears to me that she probably was going through some depression and. I don't know what, yeah. you know, I'm not even there, you know. Um, but I do remember quite some time, you know, over some years and you go back to, you know, our parents' place and Susan's looking very, um, just very unengaged and not happy at all. I'm speaking to Petita Cole, the artist and art teacher and sister of Susan Tikaharangi King. Well, um, I, I've got a I've got a filing cabinet at home, and I do have it stashed full of kids' drawings from my children's time when they were drawing more. You know, and I think we all I think we're all remarkable drawers sometimes when we're young, and we we also stop. But I mean, what's remarkable really, if it's before your archiving work, is your, your mother was also carefully stashing away her work for decades, I imagine. Yeah, yeah, and um, actually, it's interesting you say carefully stashing. It's like they're two opposites, <laughs> and, yes, and, and to be honest, it was closer to the stashing than the carefully because <laughs> like, I do like remember. <laughs> yeah, I do remember when I started. Um, you know, um, began the archival project in two thousand five, and um, exactly, you know, somewhere, you know, crammed full in a case, and the case is shut tight, but the, the drawings are out, you know, coming out of it while it's been shut. So they've, you know, and then others rolled up and put in the rafters under the house with spider poo on them and, you know, <laughs> so they're kind of, um, so they're not as if they're safely all those years been archived in a systematic way. It's like, here's a chunk in this box, here's another stack in this shelf and here's, <laughs> so they're all, you know, from different stages put aside but actually not thrown away and I do remember even finding mum found years later after 
our grandmother had died in a purse that grandma had kept. And there were these uh, half a dozen male nude drawings that my, that ah. my grandmother ha- had kept of Susan's. And she, I guess, you know, uh, didn't want to sort of show them, but she knew better than to throw them. So these they're, were, they're quite remarkable. I think I've seen some of those. They're really... Yes, I think they are in the documentary. And <laughs> they were kind of like, whoa, mum found them. It's like, whoa, look at these. Yeah. Um, but so even there, you know. So, so how, did, how did you come to start working with this archive? And kind of, I imagine it must have been just an incredible thing to find so much of that work. Um, I've always, I mean, I'm an artist myself, not that I get time to do it anymore, but I've always been aware that her drawings, her artwork is just absolutely amazing. But life is busy and I've never had time to do what I wanted to do with it, which is basically to let's discover this, you know, both for the world and also for Susan. So I sort of reached a point um, that was 2005 and I was well aware that Susan was totally unengaged and not in a happy state. And so I kind of first and foremost thought, hey, look, if I can pull out her works and involve her in this process and start going through them, discovering them and um, letting others see them as well. I mean, these are too good to hide. So I began this, what I call the archival project and would go to mum's place, bring back a box of or case of works, bring Susan back with me and we'd just go through them, pull them out and put them into clear file um, folders. What, what, um, what was Susan's reaction to that? Or is that very hard to gauge with her, I guess, because that's for yeah. our listeners, they might not understand that, you know, you, you, when you come into the room with Susan, you, you know, she's not necessarily welcoming you. She's very much uh, in her world. Yes, yeah. yes, I think so. Although uh, it did surprise us when she started... Um, starting being famous, she would actually advance and put her hand out to shake people's hand, like, hey, notice me. <laughs> <laughs> and we were just kind of like, hey, that's so cool, you know. You, like, you could hey, see her actually. glow. In the, in the documentary, you can see her glow in the pictures of Susan. Yes, uh, yes. That first, yeah, that first exhibition in Callan Park in, in Sydney was just amazing. Just, 2009, uh, right? Yep. Yes, yes. Um, and, yeah, that was just... Uh, Amazing. We took still shots and took them home and showed mum, and and uh, she couldn't believe it's like there's Susan smiling there and there and there. It's like haven't seen a smile for ages. And then the miracle, right, Petita? The miracle after fifteen or twenty years, maybe, of not drawing, she starts drawing again. Right? Yeah. Well, that that was phenomenal. That was actually that was actually just before the filming had begun with Dan Salmon, and he had asked that pivotal question really at that point where he's just trying to um, work out what is the direction he's going with the film what is the story here and he asked me do I think she would or could ever draw again and if she did like what would they be like you know (laughs) and um, long story short within a month or two she was actually drawing and I couldn't believe it my brother who was at home with mum. Yeah, he rang and said, Susan's drawing. She's drawn. It's like, what do you mean she's drawn? It's like, I can't believe it. What's this? Is she going to draw tomorrow or is it just a, what do you mean drawn? Is it a dash on the paper and that's it? Or, 
but yeah, no, she no. she started again, and they're and quite intense, and and and, and they're um, they're slightly different, or they're an evolution. Um, and in fact, if people go to Te Uru Gallery and to some of these other exhibitions, they can see some of the earlier work when she was younger, and some of her more recent work, right? Yes, yeah. absolutely. However, the um, pretty much to a large extent, she did pick up exactly where she left off mm. and there's almost a seamless continuation from where she dropped off to where she picked up it, because when she stopped her drawings had already begun to be you know more abstract less figurative you know uh, more sort of abstract repetitive shapes and 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 also more like hidden or camouflaged figures um, yeah. or objects so um, yeah your, no. your work as an art teacher, I wonder how much this kind of connected at the same time as the journey that you were going through with, with Susan. Because you've worked a lot with people with disabilities. Yes. In fact, my first teaching job in 2002 was at a disability school and it was working with the kids on the spectrum that uh, then I said to mum, gee, Susan must be autistic. Like, getting an understanding and a feel for, I mean, everybody's um, with autism, they're they're unique, but there are some underlying characteristics and um, ways that just uh, I was quite sure. Um, And then mum goes, like, what's that, you know? (laughs) I mean, Susan had been going to the... Uh, intellectually handicapped schools from 1960 through to the late 1980s, and it had never come on the radar. It's this, incredible, isn't it? Yeah. Looking back now, for a lot, you know, I do know for a lot of people now that getting an autism diagnosis can make a strong positive effect on their lives in terms of, you know, just making people, you know, being aware of something. Absolutely. I mean, it's. Um, I, I think that that goes for just about any diagnosis, really, because then that. Um, it's like, oh, so it's that. So I'm not dumb. I'm not stupid. I'm not naughty. I'm definitely it, able. <laughs> definitely you know? able. That's right. Exceptional in other ways. That's yeah. right. Absolutely. And then that. So these days, you know, that that means okay. So if that's what I am, then you can look up and or whether you look up and Google or you get it elseways, you know, what are the strategies or supports you can put in place to assist or whatever. Mm. Um, one of the tensions, I guess, and every great film has a tension, doesn't it, that kind of helps propel it with pictures of Susan, the Dan Salmon film we mentioned back in 2009, was the, the family struggling at that early stage of the recognition with the idea of the work being sold. You know, particularly when Susan doesn't have the agency to say what she wants. How has that panned out? Because, I mean, look, she's going to the Sydney Contemporary Art Fair, there's New York. I mean, you must have had all sorts of dealings with wheelers and dealers all over the world, shall we say, where people have different motives and there's a lot of money involved. Um, Well, actually, her first show in... um in the States, that was in 2014. And when I was approached uh, for Susan to be showing there, and I said, well, you do realise the works are not for sale. And they said, that doesn't matter. (laughs) These works are amazing. They need to be seen. Yes. Just allow us the opportunity, let us show you. So with that confidence that, whoa, okay, so really you're going to pay for these to get shipped and framed and exhibited and... You can do all that without selling them. Okay. So that was amazing. Um, And so when the works actually 
were exhibited and they, you know, rave reviews written about them and you actually see that, become to learn that actually the collectors are not just like, you know, out there to make a buck, you know, some maybe, some are not, but it's like here are people to um, assist in, in creating a platform where Susan can go from here to here to here and move up and become more recognised, the work's, you know, uh, become acquired by uh, reputable uh, collectors and institutions, museums. So when we actually saw them, when I saw them exhibited in such a fantastic way, I thought to myself and shared with the family, are we going to say, hey, these need to be bundled back because they need to be back here in this box? You know, <laughs> under, under the you, couch, essentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, these are too good to sell. They need to come back here. And it's like, who said they're too good to sell? Who said that's the best thing? 